This week on the Dragzine Podcast, Kyle Loftus stops by from 1320 Video to talk about where he's been all over the world racing, some sketchy moments, filming, and a whole lot more. So, pull those belts tight, get ready to put in the beams. The Dragzine Podcast starts now. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, Kyle Loftus, the founder of 1320 Video, stops by and really kind of tells some fun stories about his travels all over the world and some of the interesting things that he's kind of got to see and do behind the camera. So, without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine podcast is probably, in my opinion, one of the most influential people in all of YouTube when it comes to motorsports. That's uh, Mr. 1320 of himself, Kyle Loftus. What's going on, Kyle? Not too much. Just trying to stay warm here in Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, the fun reoccurring theme for us Midwesterners is this time of the year. Uh, it goes from zero to suck real fast. <laughs> that's right. But on the plus side, it gives us, you know, excuses to travel to warmer locations in extravagant and exotic locations like, you know, Adele, Georgia for ducks races and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Or Australia. It's very hot in Australia right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say that's uh, if, you, if you're lucky enough to go to that portion of the world, it's uh, it's definitely a little little warm over there during their summer. And that's uh, that's definitely kind of wild over there for sure for that heat level. Definitely. Now, with uh, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of going off of that, you know, you've got to travel, literally all over the world to check out some amazing, amazing events. You know, what's like, you know, we could run down like the top three places you've got to go to to videotape this stuff. So, you know, what's what's like your number three spot you've got to got to go to and uh do mm. race car stuff. You're gonna make me hard rank him. That's gonna be a tough one. <laughs> Actually, all right. I, I, well, let me let me count backwards here. I'll make I'll make it easy for you. Just give me your favorite. How does that work? You okay. don't even have to rank them. Just three that you're like, all right. You know, you're you're on. You're at the scene. You're at you know checking out the vibe, and it's like, wow, this is totally oh, yeah. gnarly. I think it's it's a close tie for my favorite um, outside of the U.S. Because yeah, yeah, totally. We're, we're so we're so uh, saturated with U.S. content because that's what we film all year. Um, I'd say Australia and uh, Sweden have been my two favorites. And uh, Australia probably takes the cake just because um, the country itself is just is beautiful and the, the people there are awesome and they're crazy. And they speak English. <clears throat> um, Non-English-speaking -spe countries are very exhausting. Uh, it's a good challenge, but it's, it's, a, it's a stressful environment to work in when you have to have a translator there with you. <laughs> But yeah, I can only Australia's, imagine. Oh, yeah. Australia, we went there for the first time for Summer Nets, the, the epic burnout contest. Really, no other burnout contest like it in the world. Uh, and Sweden, I choose because of the street racing. There is no other country that I know of that has anything like what the Stockholm Open is and the Valhalla Cup and the other races that they do there. It's just, there's, it's just you have to experience it to really understand. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, let, let, let's uh, let, let's open a can on both of those places because one, yeah. I've always wanted to go to Australia. That's like on my bucket list of places to go on many levels. But just for the motorsports scene, there is it's like just on like from my level, just looking at it, it's absolutely amazing. What was it like for you to like kind of like show up there? What was the first thing when you hit the ground? You guys had the cameras. You're going to your first spot. What was that kind of like? Uh, well, right when you get into Sydney, um, obviously the accent changes very quickly, but it's easy to understand everybody. <clears throat> and then you end up in this humid, warm climate, leaving Omaha, uh, of like two degrees for something that's like 80 to hundred degrees, uh, summer natchez in January because it's in the middle of their summer. And it was, uh, it's literally a three hour drive up to summer Nats where they do it. It's actually in the, the country's capital Canberra. Um, right in the heart of where the wildfires are at right now, unfortunately. But the three-hour drive up there was very cool to see the countryside and just what Australia is all about, rather than just being stuck in the middle of Sydney. Uh, but when we when we got there, it was uh, it was cool to see the event before it opened up because it's just a big fairgrounds. Um, and then the uh, 
<clears throat> the Bogans, as they call them there, uh, it's, a, it's a very redneck event, about 80% rednecks, but it's all about the car culture. Um, the, the Summer Nats burnout contest is, you, you see our videos, you see the big blower cars, you see the crazy billowing smoke, but the event itself is so much more like it's a, it's literally like a state fair of cars. All of these burnout cars are lined up around this. I think it's like a mile and a half. Don't quote me on that mile and a half cruise route around the facility. And when everybody's moved in on Friday, um, there's hundreds of cars just lining the road and it's a nonstop cruise around that mile and a half circuit for three or four days. Oh, wow. And so it's like, it's hard to put that in videos and keep people's interest, but it was just so surreal because you see these huge blower cars, but you don't see them driving around Australia because it's highly illegal to drive extremely modified cars like that. So to come to a, an environment where it's just nonstop, big, crazy, you know, blower cam, you know, the roof, 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 those cars are everywhere, just nonstop. So it's like you're in this wonderland for three or four days and then you wake up on monday and it's disappeared it's just it's crazy yeah that's watching your videos and other videos that, that kind of helps paint the video you know the, the picture a little bit more of why i wanted to go to that event because it just looks just the hardware on display and like how they build cars in australia is yeah. they have the same kind of mindset we have here but turned up to 11 on the insanity level Oh, yeah. And that's just one flavor of Australia Motorsports. Um, for the first, I think, well, the first batch of videos we put out, um, it was hard to explain and hard for me to understand. You know, that's not all of what Australia is about. There's plenty of other different car cultures there. So the second car culture I experienced was um, on the import side of things. A lot of J JDM, mainly GTRs. I went down there for the Moto DVD. Uh, it's called Drag Battle. It's a uh, ultimate streetcar challenge on an airport runway and it's primarily gtrs because moto dvd is like one of the biggest media well the biggest as i as far as i know gtr media companies in the world um and they bring all of the fastest uh r32s 33s 34s 35s to an airport runway a couple hours outside of sydney to see who can actually get down on an asphalt unprepped surface and it's there's cars there running, um, I want to say 760s. I could be wrong on that number, um, but it's very quick on an asphalt runaway. It's just insane. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and like you said, the, the, the culture down there and just they will modify and build anything. Like I've done, you know, articles on some of like the stuff you see on full boost with like crazy diesel like mm -hmm. flatbed truck builds i think i did one article where you took a ride along on one of those things and it scared the hell out of you i mean just you know all kinds of just crazy vehicles that you see down there that these guys modify and they beat the hell out of them yep yeah exactly it's uh there's all sorts of different um versions of motorsports there i'm gonna be going to power cruise here uh, in a few weeks actually in sydney and that event's going to be a whole different version of what australia is all about and then i'm also going to a half mile on the other side of the country uh, in perth called race wars so i'll be experiencing even more of that so let's see a little, bit, a little bit more but power cruise has a little bit of both like the jdm side of things and the muscle car uh, crowd all mixed together what was the one vehicle that you saw over there at the racetrack that just literally stopped you in your tracks? You're like, all right, that's pretty gnarly and awesome on a lot of levels. In Australia? Yeah. Oh, man. There's been a few. Um, the weirdest one is it's a Honda. I want to say it's a N600. Um, S600. It has, it's, it's a video called Tiny Honda Giant Turbo on our YouTube channel, and it's got almost 3 million views. Uh, and it's this tiny, like, micro car that is, like, the equivalent of maybe, like, an MG or a Sunbeam Tiger, that kind of size. And it has, uh, I forget what size turbo, like a 90 millimeter <clears throat> large housing turbo just hanging out of the hood. And that was one of the craziest cars for sure that I filmed down there. 
That's that sounds so amazing. Is it that and this bl- guy was like in his sixties, I think, and it the car did not go straight. Super short wheelbase, you know, fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred horsepower, and he never let out of it. It was it was just wild. That's that little blue car, right? Yeah, that's probably the one that people have seen all over the place, that little tiny car. Yeah, again, with the video and just that massive, like, pro-mod turbo hanging out of it. It took me a second to kind of click with it there, but, yeah, that car, (laughs) that's one of my favorite cars to look at. Just look at it because it looks like a real-life Hot Wheels car. Exactly. And then there was also my friend Matt's uh, Holden um, Commodore... I forget which model, the, the Ute version. Yeah. Um, and his is like a, basically a sleeper without the drag wheels on it. He took me for a ride out on the streets in Sydney. And then shortly after that ran like a low eight at the drag strip in the car. You see a lot of like, you know, Ford V6 powered stuff and a lot of weird stuff down there. One of my favorites thing is, is the rotaries you see down there are all angry and nasty and quick cars. Oh, yeah, for sure. I saw my first four-rudder at uh, Sydney Motorsports Park, I think, two years, three years ago. Oh, nice. And, again, for people that might not, you know, go to a lot of these events and see a well-built rotary, these cars (laughs) make a noise that's literally undescribable unless you hear it on video or even better in person because they sound like they are going to absolutely shred the earth with every ounce of torque that they have oh yeah there was a a blower car in at summer nats two or three years ago i think he competed this year too but it had a big um you know top mount blower sticking out of the hood on a rotary which is just goofy sounding that's that's wild (laughs) (laughs) kind of to, to shift gears a little bit here, you mentioned Sweden, which, you know, I started checking out the videos you guys did of that. And I actually became friends with the dude that does the, uh, he has the LS, the big block LS powered wagon. And oh, yeah, XTX Volvo. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And a couple of those other vehicles. And that, like, your guys' video series there sent me down an amazing rabbit hole of <laughs> vehicles that had way too big of engine and turbos for the size. And street racing shenanigans that make anything here in the United States look, frankly, tame. Yeah, it's it's a little unreal over there. That that country is just a whole different world when it comes to uh, street racing. We haven't we've only been to one legal drag race, which is actually at an airport runway. Um, so far, it's just been we've been three years for the Stockholm Open. Um, which is their annual like Super Bowl of their street racing series, basically, because they have small tire races, big tire races, <clears throat> uh, multiple times throughout the year, and then they have one like anybody can come uh, battle royale type street race at the end of the year, which is the Stockholm Open. That's like their year-end finale, uh, and they've had up to sixty some cars, I think in that series but it's it started in 82 um they've done it almost every year since then it's uh yeah it's wild well to watch these videos you got to check them out just for the simple fact that they basically shut down the equivalent of a major freelay to pop these races off exactly and the thing that doesn't come through on the videos necessarily is everyone meets together for the drivers meeting kind of like a cash days and then um, from there, each person knows who they're racing. And when they do the hat draw, the first person gets to choose the race spot. And the other person just has to meet them there. <clears throat> and there's spots all over town. Literally any, any road that's at least a little over a quarter mile um, is, good, is a race spot. Uh, and so they, they, uh, it's all the highways. The, the reason they do it on the highways is because the industrial area is there. The roads are not good. They're not very long. Uh, usually they're right in the middle of the city and areas you don't want to be racing in. Um, so they'll, <clears throat> when the, the two racers meet up, um, usually it's just that pair racing at that one spot, and they'll meet up at a like a gas station or a big parking lot nearby, and then they'll drive to the race spot with all the spectators behind them. Um, so you, you follow the cars to the race spot. Uh, we're with the starter crews that get there ahead of time, and then the two the two race cars pull up with anywhere from 20 to 100 to 200 
spectator cars behind that causes a traffic jam. Uh, so like that scene right there, the racer, the two racers pulling up with a flood of people behind them. It, every time that happened, it gave me goosebumps because it's just like the, literally the highway is it's like two in the morning. There's nobody out there except for us. And then all of a sudden it's like this big attraction in the middle of uh, in, the, in the middle of the highway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just watching it on video, it's just like, it's so, I could only imagine what it would be like to check out. And a lot, like I said, a lot of these cars, they're, there's some nasty pieces and watching them, you know, get down on a, on a street like that. It's, it's impressive. Yeah, for sure. It's all asphalt too. It's very rare for them to race on any sort of concrete. Uh, and so they'll do a puddle burnout. Uh, some of them are using VHT, some of them are using water. But they'll do a puddle burnout with their tires in the puddle, back up, do one more, back up, and then they'll race. There's always two burnouts to get the rubber laid down on the ground. And then if the cops come, uh, basically all of the highways there have a metal divided highway. So the police on the other side can't drive over onto the side you're racing on. And the police that are on the, the side that you're on are stuck in a traffic jam a half mile back. It's genius. So it's, uh, yeah. And t- there's been a few occasions where the police come down the oncoming lane, uh, but that's pretty rare. Yeah, that, that's got to be some motivated police officers there. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's got to be well. And, you know, you guys also went to uh, to Brazil as well, because I, I did a video yep. you guys did with, uh, I checked out with, uh, I think it was a sh- one of the Chevettes or something like that down there. And, you know, I've, I've worked with the guys from Fuel Tech on, you know, some videos and stuff like that. You know, what was it like checking out that whole scene down there? <laughs> Uh, ironically, rewinding about 10 years, the, the reason I found out about the racing scene in Brazil was I used to work for PayPal and I went down there probably 12 years ago I was in Sao Paulo, which is a city of 26 million people. And one of my customers that had bought some DVDs for me in the past messaged me because he saw on, it might've been MySpace at the time. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, he saw that I was going to be in Brazil and he said, you need to meet my friend Adriano. And so I was a little sketched out because Brazil's never been a super safe country and it was even less so back then, but I, I trusted him. I, I told him to give him my number. The guy calls me and I'm at work at PayPal in the middle of Sao Paulo. And he tells me that his apartment where he lives is right next to my hotel. And so now I'm really sketched out. Uh, but I went there anyway. Uh, it was actually the very first video I showed my face on because I was trying to figure out how to tell the story of how crazy this was that this guy who has this race car that I needed to meet was right next to my hotel in a city of 26 million people. <clears throat> um, but you can see the, the video on our channel. It's a uh, 1500 horsepower Camaro in Brazil. This guy had a split bumper 1970 Camaro with a uh, with twin turbo. I think it was a big block. And one of the first versions uh first fuel tech computers ever from what i understand uh that was built by uh anderson himself the owner of the company um and that was my i'd never heard of it so i was really interested in the computer i also found out that the car cars there like their ethanol is sugarcane ethanol so it smelled really funky um but that was just like just teed up uh my relationship with fuel tech and meeting the guys over there uh and fuel tech is one of the most like the people at fuel tech are just amazing. Uh, our friend Lewis there, he hosted us in Brazil last year. Uh, all, all four of us, Matt, Fred, Woody, and I flew down and he just showed us around for a week, um, took us to the office to see their operation in, in the works. And then we went to the, the track there uh, for an event. And it was, uh, drag racing is alive and well in Brazil, let me tell you. It was very eye-opening. The, the track there is is top notch and the cars we saw were just uh insane um it's a whole different style of of racing and car building over in brazil than any other country that we've seen um might be a little comparable to like germany and australia because all the classes require you to keep like original block um sometimes it was original head the body panels lots of times can't be modified so it's a lot of like stock car type racing and some of these cars are in the low sevens yeah because i th- that article i did on that chevette they you know this thing was you know a six second car <laughs> and they it's like it still had the stock block and i'm like you gotta first wrap your mind first to to understand international racing 
you know, people in America have to understand that cars in different countries have, you know, have been in production longer, might, you know, been a little bit different over there. So it it doesn't look like, you know, the classic Chevette you might see here in America. And they are very nasty vehicles. Mm -hmm. I think that one's a four cylinder, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the stuff there is four cylinder. Uh, the that car and the uh, Opalas, the Chevy Opalas, which we never got here, it's like a condensed version of a Nova kind of. Um, those cars run an inline six motor and they have to use the stock block, stock heads, uh, and they have to be stick shifted. Um, they can have a uh, like a slipper clutch and they can have. Um, I forget all the details, but it has to be a manually shifted, um, hand shifted basically. But they're like they're fighting against all these odds to run. Some of them are in like the seven zero, I think, is the record right now for the Apollos or seven one, um, and they're running out of parts because these cars stopped production in like the eighties, I think, <clears throat> the, the motors at least. So these inline six engines are just running out. Uh, and the, the class is, doesn't is outlawed to build it blocks, uh, but they might have to open that up soon because the parts are just non-existent now. <laughs> yeah. One guy there that was kind of the godfather of Apollo racing said he had blown up over a hundred short, uh, short blocks. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's doing work. <clears throat> yep. But aftermarket parts are a very difficult thing in Brazil and other countries, because if you buy like a precision turbo for $2,500, in the U.S. and have it shipped there, you have to pay a $2,500 tax to import it. It's 100% import tax Ooh. on anything you ship in, in the country. Ouch. So that's why the country all runs on fuel tech uh, and other parts that are made in, in Brazil as much as they can. That makes sense now. Now, which of those cars, I know some of them, they run on nitro too, don't they? There's a few cars yeah. that do, don't they? That was another thing we were not prepared for was the amount of cars that run on nitromethane. It's like, Probably 30% of the cars there do. Really? Uh, it was very, very interesting to see. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's strange to see, you know, you'll, you'll see some of the, the import all-motor cars. You'll get a whiff of it now and again. But, you know, it's it's interesting when you see a non, you know, top fuel or funny car or even, you know, an alcohol dragster running on nitro because there's you know that's that fuel is so volatile and nasty you got to know what you're doing otherwise you're going to do some uh some high energy disassemblies yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah it's 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 so strange too because they're the classes limit them to stock parts but let, yet you can run nitro which is like the whole complete opposite end of the spectrum yeah and especially considering the stock parts and you're throwing nitro at it you know that's one plus one mm-hmm. equals potato there how are you making that work <laughs> Because that's, you know, my, my experience with, uh, you know, I used to race nitro-powered RC cars is, you know, even at that level is uh, you, you miss the tune-up on a nitro car, bad things happen in a hurry. Mm-hmm. You know, melting parts, destroying bearings and whatnot. But, uh, yep. you know, w- one of the interesting things for me at least was, you know, kind of watching, you know, your, your vid- videos and DVDs is kind of like how you guys got in with the, you know, Literally the 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 forefront and no prep, you know the cash days and the the legit street oh, yeah. racing and stuff like that. And we had Chris Hamilton on the podcast, and you know I think you need to give him salesman of the month award because he was you know bumping all the times you guys were out and you know videoing you got what he did. And it you know it, it's funny too because that's a lot of people don't realize. You know I talked about this. You know that's where the street outlaws legitimately started. Yeah, we had we had a little bit to do with that. Yeah, just, just <laughs> both a ourselves, smidge. both ourselves and Big Rob uh, were filming them back in the days as early as I think Rob probably started filming like '03 or something. I came to the first cash days in '05 or '06 in Dallas, um, and ironically, Chris Hamilton boosted GT. Uh, one of my favorite racers on the show. Uh, he he picked me up. He was basically my taxi for the, the weekend when I went to the first cash days down in Dallas, I stayed at his place and um, went out testing with him. And he, he's an awesome guy. It's, it's, it's kind of too bad that <clears throat> the way things have gone, like we've kind of built this world around us by exposing these different things that weren't known. And now they're all kind of spread apart. And some of them are 
not as accessible, so we don't really see our friends at the street outlaws as much as we'd, we'd like to, because uh, it used to be that they were busy for six or seven months filming the street race show. Now they got no prep kings, so <laughs> there's really no there's really no spare time. But I'm really happy for them. It's awesome to see what that's grown into. Um, when the, the show first became a a topic and like an idea, I talked to Chief and a few other people, and uh, Chief was like, I, I don't know what to think about this. Like, what what are we going to open up ourselves to? And there's a lot of uncertainty there, but I'm glad they took that plunge and it turned into what it did because it has done nothing but wonders for the racing world. Like street, there's been no cooler time to own a street car, build a street car, go to a street car race than right now because oh. of that show, because of like a lot of the other events we go to, a lot of the other racers. Um, it's an awesome world to be in right now. Yeah. You know, yeah, I can't agree more with that statement and the idea, you know, just, you know, looking at that, you know, like the street car takeover and then just all the other events that have street car classes. And, you know, in my opinion, I, I love no prep racing. I'm personally, I don't partake in street racing activities these days anymore, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, this whole full time job thing kind of, they, you know. they, they frown upon me being in legit street racing activities not you know so you know people know the difference between what's on tv and like legit sketchy street racing there's a huge difference oh yeah for sure no prep gives you a little bit of a taste of that culture though that's what we like is those cultural events is getting into like a subculture that you just it just blows you away you're like wow i didn't know this existed yeah, it, it's crazy when you talk to some of the NHRA drivers that go to these events and they are like, they're in sugar shock. They don't know what to think. They're like, this is the freaking coolest thing ever. I want to oh, do yeah. this. You know, you get yeah, people like it, Bo it, Buntner and Alex and everybody else jumping in on it. <laughs> it's been interesting to see the, the different racing formats and sanctioning body type racers come check those out and bring a, build a car for it, bring a car for it uh it's it's a whole different game and there's there's money to be had there too with with a different style of drama and probably a lot less red tape than some of the more um professional styles of racing yeah i was gonna say you were probably in the similar boat that i'm in that you know we get to go to all kinds of different events and the way that i describe it to people is i'm like all right nhra is like PGA, like equestrian sports, it's very prim, it's very proper. And, you know, from mm-hmm. a from a media standpoint, they tell you where you can stand, how long you can stand there, and what foot you can stand on. Yeah. On the other foot, you know, you go to some of these no prep races, and it's chaos and insanity. Like, literally, you see stuff there that give NHRA tech people strokes. They don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. When people ask me that aren't into racing what I do, I'm like, I film race cars. Like, oh, like NASCAR? I'm like, no. Like, drag racing. Like, oh, NHRA? I was like, eh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to watch some videos to get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I've had to explain to people, too. I'm like, there's a lot of different subgenres to drag racing. And, you know, I'll, I'll go to major no prep events, NHRA stuff, you know, Ducks races, the World Cup, Big Bracket yep. races, all these different things in one year. And it's amazing the different cultures that are within the sport and what they all bring to the table oh yeah for sure and you've been around kind of the game for a while you know what's what's it been like to kind of watch all this kind of you know happen if you will watch you know radial tire racing blow up and just all these different genres kind of thrive now you know what what, what's your thoughts on that oh I, i love it i mean i love that drag racing itself is very healthy like the the sport and the business, I guess you could say, I guess the business is getting a little interesting because the amount of races that are out there now are diluting things so much that it can be difficult to, to get to a race that has a whole lot of cars entered and a whole lot of spectators when there's 17 no preps on August 15th. Um, it, it can get a little tricky, but it's, it, you know, and, and part of me feels like a lot of this world's all, already been here. It's just that the media avenues that we have the social media that's out there has allowed us to expose what was already there and some of it's morphed into what it is today but um and that's what i really loved about the early days of 
filming drag racing was you had to get a phone call from somebody to find out about a certain race uh, to end up being there. There was no Facebook event page or Facebook messenger or group chats or whatever it might be. Um, there were several pivotal phone calls that I've, I've had, like um, when Steve from King of the Streets called me telling me he's got this, this funky little race that he doesn't really know anybody else that's, that's done it where they don't prep the track. And I'm like, well, that sounds silly. <laughs> and he said, trust me, just come up here, check it out, see what you think. Um, and it was, it was nuts. Same thing with, um, the first quote unquote cash days I filmed. Um, I think it was on a mess. Yeah, I was back in the message board days. Uh, a guy that I knew from the St. Louis area hit me up and said, Hey, I'm, I'm hosting a street race for a thousand dollars a car. Uh, and we've got about 16 cars signed up. Um, and I had, no, I'd actually never filmed a street race for more than like 20 bucks. We don't, we don't street race for money here in Nebraska. Typically it's just line up for fun. Uh, but I, I showed up at that street race in St. Louis, um, and there's a there's a video about it on our YouTube channel. Uh, it's like $12,000 street race, real street racing, I think is what it's called. Uh, and that's actually where, that was before King of Streets, and literally a whole bunch of the King of Streets racers were there. Uh, Limpy was there that helps run a lot of cash days now. He's been on the Street Outlaws plenty. Uh, Monza was there, Boosted GT a bunch of other people that I would end up filming in the future anywhere from six months to six years from that, that moment. Uh, but that was all just like through networking, through a friend of a friend. Um, and now with this world of social media has exposed so much. Uh, it's, it's really good, but it's also difficult because it's hard to get as excited as I usually do when you show up with the first no prep you've ever filmed. And you know, it snowed the day before and the first car, puts the car, the bumper on the wheelie, you're like, it's just so new and crazy. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to have those moments anymore because you see all the crazy moments that have happened today within an hour of it happening, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, it's like, there's certain, like, I, I agree that there's a certain level of dilution that's happened. And I think that's also what makes going to some of these tent pole events, so amazing you know going to one of ducks races going to the world cup going to outlaw oh, again yeah. like you go to these events and that's what they are they are events you know you're mm-hmm. it's 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 like a something out of a movie it's like clash of the titans because you have all the fastest people in one place and they're not showing up there to you know to finish second and it's it's really oh, yeah. it's awesome to see it's you know the atmosphere i the two events I think that have like the most electric atmosphere, in my opinion, I've been to is Outlaw Armageddon and the World Cup. Those are the two that you go to, and those are the goosebump moments when you, the crowd interactions, the cars, you can just you can feel it in the air. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and, World Cup is is a whole different level. That is like the the best produced event I've ever been to. Uh, if, if, he, if anybody out there hasn't been to it, it is just on a whole different level and it's definitely a cultural event, um, different, different flavor, different types of cultural event. I mean, it's a car cultural event and there's, you know, people from 30, 40, 50 different countries there, um, and racers from like, I think a dozen or more countries racing. It's, there's nothing else like there, like that event. You know, being up at World Cup, I've been up there, I've crewed on a car, you know, I've done, you know, the, been with the live stream many times helping out with that. I've covered it, you know, for Dragzine. And the way that I tell people is you will see things at the World Cup that you don't see at any other race. Like, yep. just the people watching. I remember we were there one year, and we were in our pit wrenching on the car, and I hear some, like, hardcore heavy trap bass music, and it's, like, moving. You know, you can hear it moving. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, you know, I'm not going totally crazy, am I? And then it starts getting louder. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I pop out of the pit. And there's this, you know, probably 11-year-old kid dragging a cooler on wheels that has a sub built into it and two speakers blaring this music, carrying it through the pits, like rolling it around. You know, it's just a rolling <laughs> concert. And that's great. I'm like, all right, well, that's something you don't see every day. And then I... You, the the owner of the guy I worked for, he said one year there was a dude there with like a guitar amp as a backpack and was blaring music through that. You know, it's just oh, it, yeah, you never know what you're gonna see there. No, not at all. <laughs> then then you have the cars and the racing, but it's just like it it's it's truly it's an event. Yep. And 
you know, kind of segueing off of that, you know, we we talked about this in the pre-call. You go to a lot of this stuff and you, you, you spend a lot of time at events and different things. You start seeing some interesting stuff. You know, what's some of the more interesting slash sketchy things that you've kind of been evolved in and around, you know, traveling the world doing hood rat race car stuff? Like moments that I've gotten myself into? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, or... moments, just things where it's like it just sticks out in your mind where you're telling stories to people like, listen, this one time, yeah. and then, you know, you go from there. So what, what are some of those moments yeah. for you? Well, thinking back to when I first started doing this, um, I had filmed street racing originally for a couple of years, and I started going to a few, like, legal events at KCIR in Kansas City, uh, Topeka, a few other Midwest tracks. Um, but I'd been filming for drag racing for a couple of years, and I never really – seen much of like wheelies and wrecks and like super insane world records or whatever. Um, and in 05, I saw videos like 25, 30 minutes long, uh, from Orlando's, uh, world street nationals. And from what I understand that video went so far, and this was back before uh, street fire before YouTube and you had to host your own videos. And I guess, uh, Carl that used to own Orlando speed world, had a bill for like $25,000 from that video from the server fees. Uh, but that's what got me to that race. And this is before anybody knew me. And I had to beg Carl, the owner, three days in a row to be able to stand on the track uh, because he didn't know who I was. And there was already like 20 other media on the side of the track. Uh, and by the way, there was only one video. Well, I think one or two video cameras on the side of the track. This is back in 06. Nobody was shooting videos, really. It was all photographers. That was the business model because you could sell your photos there. Um, but I finally got a media pass on, I think, Saturday afternoon for the last day and a half of uh, uh, street or World Street Nationals. Uh, but that was actually a good thing that I didn't have that media pass for the first couple of days because the very first big wreck that I ever filmed uh, was a pro mod that was freshly built from Canada. It was a like 70-something GTO, I think twin turbo was like red with orange flames on the side of it. And I was posted up at the very top corner of the, the stands by like where the stating lanes are at right by the burnout box for those two and a half days that I didn't have a media pass. And, uh, the reason it was good. I was there is because I had the only shot of that car going, like it literally hit one wall, bounced off, hit the other wall. And this is when they were, I think metal guardrails, it flipped it up in the air, upside down, and then the car just literally disintegrated, except for the cage. Like, the body just went flying everywhere. And I was the only person that had a shot that wasn't the typical track shot. And there's a guy in the stands in front of me that throws his hand up, like, fist in the air, celebrating as this guy's losing his quarter-million-dollar race car. Um, and I ended up selling that shot to, like, five different TV shows. And this is back before... I was big at all. I was like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, but that was, a, that was a very interesting moment. Uh, Cause I really hadn't seen, I, I hadn't seen a single wreck up until that, that event. And then I was, I experienced it all crazy wheelies, wrecks, new class records, um, this insane, uh, insane things there. So that was one moment that I always tell people about um, when it goes to the flip side of things and street racing. Um, the, the number one that I talk about is uh we have a very brief clip of this in our, I think, Texas Streets Lockdown DVD trailer, I think. But I was in a, in a Supra, and we raced a Corvette four or five times in a row. And the last time we ran, something happened. We went straight left into the, the concrete uh, jersey barrier at about 100 miles an hour. Ooh. Um, and somehow I was okay. I fractured, like, my shin. The dash folded up on it. But that was... Uh, that was the only wreck I've been in so far, thank God. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, occupational hazard, if you will. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, you know, the other thing that people, you, you, at least for me sometimes, it usually happens at some point during the year, I get, I get comfortable. You know, you forget mm-hmm. how dangerous this can be at times. And then you have something happen that kind of gets your attention and it snaps you yep. back to reality in a hurry and people that don't do this for a living kind of, you know, they think you have a cool job, but you know, at times there's, like I said, there's things that happen that snap you back to reality that remind me that I have to remember my mantra of everything on this track can and will try to kill you at some point. Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah, and I've I've probably ridden in over four or five hundred cars on the street, roll racing, uh, and it's you feel invincible until something like that happens. You don't really, yeah, you don't really think about it. <laughs> but it made me think a lot more about you know who am I hopping in with? Is this guy is he sober? Is you know does he have all his lug nuts on the car? Are they yeah. tight? Like who worked on the car? Uh, one of my friends had their car dropped off in Oklahoma. Uh, literally just got it done at a shop and I think it made like, it was a rotary RX seven made like 700 horsepower. And we went out and made a pull to like 180 right off the trailer. And then afterwards I'm like, wait a second, this car literally just got off the lift (laughs) for better or worse. But you know, luckily I I knew the the shop owner. I know he's very good at what he does, but it's just, you don't really, you don't know what happened to that car before you hop in it. And same with the the racetrack. You have no idea what's going to happen with those cars. There's been near fatal accidents right on the starting line, right by the drag tree. Um, our one of our videographers, Fred, almost uh, got hit by a, a turbo wheel. Uh, GTR World Cup last year bounced off of uh, off the racetrack and then went a couple of feet past him. <laughs> and those things are spinning at you know a few thousand RPMs. We had one take out uh, at the Sweet 16 last year. We had a turbo wheel take out one of our mid track cameras. Like, oh wow! Hit that thing dead nuts on Ooh. and just blew it up. And oh, no, well, our the guy, one of our uh, crew guys for the live feed was right there, and he went over and tried to pick it up. And, oh uh, no! Yeah, he learned that was an out hot burn. Oh. Yeah, you, yeah, it's like nope, nope. If it, yeah, that's that you don't do that. Oh, but yeah, it, and honestly, recently the thing that sticks out of my mind, one of the scariest things that, thankfully, nothing bad happened, but. It, could have happened was at the world cup this year uh that's that blown gto that uh, sexton used to drive car did a burnout and mm. you know when a like when a screw blower car when something funky happens it breaks a belt or something like that like the blower makes a really funny noise and yeah car shuts down. well yeah. it made a really funny noise and you know i'd i was panning shooting it and all of a sudden i heard ting to ting 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 oh no the freaking pulley came off the blower and is bouncing, like rolling at a high rate of speed and bouncing down the track. And the only thing that pops in my mind, I'm like, don't let that thing take a weird hop and go in the crowd because it will yep. kill. It's going to kill somebody. That thing's bouncing. And that one chick that they have that does, uh, that works the half track mark there at, uh, yep. there, she stopped that thing with her foot, <laughs> just stopped it and stopped it. Oh my gosh. I'm like, that's the reason why you don't mess with her and you listen to her commands yeah. because she's got the. Jeez. I'm like, I've been, I've been going the opposite way of that thing because I, you know how heavy those are, they're uh-huh. sharp, and at that RPM level, if that hits you, you're gonna have a real bad day. Wow, that's a bad chick right there. Yeah, yeah. There's that... a turbo wheel that end up on the concession stand roof. I think it was at World Cup. Whoa! Uh, like three years ago, I think. That's a good distance away. <laughs> good distance, yeah. Exactly. Well, I think it was up at uh, it was up at Norwalk this year that uh, I think it was Blake Alexander when he grenaded that body. One of the body struts was stuck in the scoreboard. Oh wow! You know, and you figure they're yeah, that... they're you know where the explosion happened, where the scoreboard is, where the thousand foot mark is, and how deep that thing was in there. It. Again, it's something to remind you. You got to treat everything out there like it's going to kill mm-hmm. you. Oh yeah, for sure. The the second you stop paying attention, bad stuff's going to happen. You know. And we had uh we had one really bad day uh, last year. We went to New Orleans. Um, was that last year? Eighteen. That was eight two thousand eighteen in the fall. Uh, we went down for the half mile down there, and that was uh, sadly the day that our friend Jeff Hageman passed away. Oh yeah. It's one of the first cars to go down that track. Um, we went out street racing that night. I, it was actually my birthday. Uh, we went to street racing and we went roll racing first and I hopped in my friend Supra that, uh, I've wanted to ride in for probably close to 10 years. He was at some of the first TX two K's I filmed, uh, back in the day. And we were, we were lining up the race. He was spooling his car up. And it rained a little bit earlier that day, and there was rain in the forecast. Well, it went from 100% dry to 100% soaking wet instantly as he his, his turbo spooled up and he let off the brake. And so we somehow, we changed 
like two lanes over somehow right behind this Corvette we were racing. Uh, but that was it for that way. I was like, no more roll racing tonight. I am done. Yeah. <laughs> and in a Supra, ironically enough, because that was the same car that I hit the, the Jersey barrier at in TX2K. Think, think, um, I think I'm seeing a pattern developing here. Kyle needs yeah, to stay out yeah, of Supras. Yeah, I don't like Supras. And then, uh, like, and out, we, he, they dropped us off at the pad, which is the big racing spot in New Orleans. Uh, and then it was on my birthday. My friend brought uh, a little birthday cupcake and, like, 300 people down at the pad sent me happy birthday on my birthday. So that was, that was cool. Uh, but then this guy, uh, I forget the name of the car. It was something funny. This guy wrapped his Mustang around a light pole uh, and literally just, like, a tuna can, but like the, the lid came off and the sides and everything. It just tore the whole car in half. And the guy climbed out missing a bunch of teeth and broke his arm, but he was perfectly fine. That day was just very eye opening to all of us. It was like, it just was the day that would never end. I was like, <laughs> I did it. get out of the city. We used the video and I did a story on that and it blew people away. Like how it opened that car up. But here's a crazy thing is that people can email me about articles after the fact. So I get all kinds of fun yeah. hate mail and God knows what else, you know, emails are interesting to say the least that yeah. dude emailed me and was like, Hey man, I'm okay. Yep. Like, cool. That was kind of terrifying. I got, that, I got that same message, but that was before I made the video. I, uh, usually with videos that are that, or like accents that are that bad. Like I, we walked away, like, we're not going to make a video. This is just too graphic, too crazy. Um, you know, the guy's obviously hurt, uh, but he messaged me like two or three days later and said, asking me when the video is going to be up. I was like, uh, do you want the video up? He's like, hell yeah. I brought my car out there so you guys can film it. I was like, okay, we'll make a video. <laughs> yeah. And then he had a new car, uh, new, and that was like his third or fourth car that he had totaled. Um, Jesus. he's got a new car now and it has a cage in it. Well, that, <laughs> so that, that's good. That's he, good. He's learning. He's learning. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that was a very bad day, but also very sobering and eye-opening for us to remember that what we do is not, not you know, we don't, we don't live in our own little safe bubble. No, it, and it reminds you, too, about safety gear and how important it is. Because I know, you, you know, we were talking yeah. pre-call, you've got your car you race, I've got my own stuff that I race. And that's one of the things it teaches you doing this is how important safety gear is and how it can it can save you. I mean, there, there is no sure. doubt about it. Yeah, there's been lots of wrecks that we filmed that were, you know, I standing on the starting line or mid-track, like, there is no way that person's walking away from this. And they climb out the driver's door and they stand up, no problem. Like, what? And that, like, that was 180 miles an hour. How did that? It doesn't doesn't make sense, but it's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's, hearing some of these, like, you can usually tell by the sound, at least I can how gnarly of an accident it is because you can hear like what I call those those dead dull thuds those are what you mm -hmm. don't want to hear because that's when there's a sudden stop in movement and you know I'm not a physics expert but a body in motion stays in motion until acted upon by another force and yeah. when that happens everything stops moving and that's when a lot of damage can be done oh yeah for sure and, you know, you, you stand behind these walls and you think these walls are going to save you. But if something hits you, hits that wall hard enough or clears that wall, you know, mm -hmm. you're in a world of trouble. Yep. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's it's not what you want to seal or deal with. And, you know, for, for you, from a personal sense, you know, what do you enjoy about the, the, the actual act of racing? When, when I say when you're being like, when I say I get to be a civilian and I don't have to, like, be in charge of a camera, when you're actually at the track you know, doing your thing. What, what do you enjoy about that? Um, I, I honestly just like discover like seeing new things that are exciting or new, like close races, crazy, unexpected things that'll happen. Um, David Freiberger taught me this term early on in one of the first drag weeks we went to. He used the word jaded and I didn't know what it meant. So I looked it up. Um, I've become very jaded when it comes to drag racing. It's very hard to get excited about things anymore. And so seeing something unexpected, um, seeing like a sleeper car that you didn't know about, that's what I really like. Um, that's what really gets me going now. Yeah, that's I definitely dig seeing some of the cool sleepers out there. Like I kind of like seeing cars that are just weird and different combinations that you normally don't see. That's some cool stuff. Yeah, or the stories behind them. Yeah, that's so finding some cool stories. 
that's the biggest thing. And I think you guys do this well. And it's why I like using your videos for articles is because you, you get in there and you get the story and it tells the story and then it helps, you know, from an editorial standpoint, then we can go out and find even more of the story behind it. And it's more than just a car going fast. You get to find out why they might've decided to do that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's always been our goal is if, if we don't have any deep, you know, any substance behind it, a lot of it's not worth using. <clears throat> We've uncovered some pretty interesting stuff too. <laughs> yeah. And I, t- I tell people too, when I'm, when I'm doing an article, I'm like, tell me your story. You know, I learned that from Jason Russ. Tell me your story. You know, the car, yeah. the car is what got us here to this meeting point, but I want to hear your story and how this car ties into it. And that's when you get to learn some really cool stuff about people. For sure. Like, you know, TJ Johnson, right? With the Chevelle Malibu from up in your area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The story behind that blue car about the lady that killed her husband, when he started telling me that, I'm like, all right, that's a new one, bro. That's that's one I've <laughs> never heard before. You know, I've, I've heard stories about how guys get cars, but never from a murder. So you uh, wow. y- you earned something there. I'll have to ask him about that. I haven't yeah, heard yeah, that one yet. Yeah, ask him the story about how he got that car. It's it's pretty wild. And he's a cool... beautiful. Oh, that car is just... that. That's the thing that... The first thing that caught my eye. And a lot of times people ask, you know, what are you looking for when you're writing an article? I'm like, it's not a lot of times like the biggest, loudest, nastiest car. You, you just see little details in cars, and it's the shade of that car. And then you go up and you see how clean it is, and then you get the story behind it. That's It's all of those elements that kind of draw me into a car, and I know it'll draw a reader or a viewer into a car, and you got to tell that story. Exactly. You know, I was up at Norwalk racing with the NMCA, and there was a dude that had a third-gen Camaro that he swapped in the inline-six out of a trailblazer and turbocharged it. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's that's cool. You've got my attention. Yeah. And it was a relatively quick car. I'm like, why'd you do this? And he goes, no, just to be different. I'm like, Yeah, it's hard to be different anymore. You know, I, I like to kick around crazy project ideas, you know, things that are out of the norm. And is that something you do? Oh, uh, yeah, occasionally. The, the, the reason I ask is wh- I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's something that you would build – that would either you do just to piss people off, the purest off, or just do it because you're like, this would be fun to do. Like, you know, like a coyote in a Corvette, you know, weird stuff like that. You know, what's something you would build? Yeah, the, the coyote and the Corvette's one of the obvious ones. I've actually had some conversations with Justin at Limitless Performance about doing that over the past few years. But uh, I also had a <clears throat> 2000 Mustang GT that I bought right out of college, dumped my leftover college money into, and I blew the motor up in that and uh, I started shopping for two JZ engines to put in there, but I'm glad I didn't go that route because I didn't have enough money to support that kind of a a swap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's it'll fit, but it's going to cost you. Oh yeah. I I love, I love projects like that because I, people think I only like Chevy's because I, I, that's all I own. Um, That's just what I like driving. when I'm out there filming stuff, it doesn't matter if it's an import, a domestic, a rotary, a four-cylinder. I can appreciate anything. Um, I may not like listening to junior dragsters or all-motor four-cylinders, but it <laughs> doesn't mean I can't appreciate them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we got uh, our all-motor rotary cars. Um, I don't know. I can't think of. Can't think of any other ones out there other than those obvious ones. I uh, actually got booed on stage at Summer Nats the first year I was there. We went up there. Uh, there was like a big Friday night debut of some show cars. And they asked both Cletus and I uh, what was our favorite, a uh, Holden or a Ford. And I said uh, a Ford with a Holden engine in it. Or yeah, And I got booed by everybody. <laughs> they're, not pre- they're not ready for the, the weird swaps there in Australia, I don't think. Yeah, the, the, that, that's like telling Buick people you're going to put an on Buick in an engine. They're going to staple you to the freaking bleachers oh over that. They're, yeah. they're psychotic. And, yeah, uh, shout out to Rob Dom for putting a rotary in a C5, by the way. That was epic. Yes. I love that project. See, I had a, a similar idea. When, we, when I first started at Power Auto Media, we had an editorial week meeting, and you know they were kicking around, you know, what's some crazy, wild projects we could do and, you know, 
literally they looked at me and I just the first thing that popped in my mind I was like I want to put a rotary in a C4 Corvette and call it Project <laughs> Miami Vice. Nice. And people just looked at me like they weren't sure if I was serious, if I was high. I'm like, uh-huh. trust me, it'll be cool because no one has ever done it and it will make people talk. They'll either love it or they will be so angry they can't stop talking about it. Oh, yeah. You know, it, oh, yeah. it, it swaps like that that are, you know, that are fun. I'm like, let's put a Subaru motor in, a, you know, a classic Mopar. I'm like, that'll mm-hmm. just make people rage and let's make it rear wheel drive, not even all wheel drive. You yeah. know, just stuff like I, that. I love diesels and things they shouldn't be in yes that's one of my favorite swaps yes 100 especially mainly like, for the epic burnouts because white and black smoke mixing together in a huge billowing burnout is just it looks so cool up here in columbus you know that with the good guy show i've seen a couple times up here where there's like diesel rat rods where literally the engine makes up the majority of the car and there was yeah. one of the dudes that had one of those builds and started doing a burnout, and it was just effortless for it because the thing weighed nothing. You know, it's a giant torque monster. So it was just absolutely just wild as hell to see. Mm-hmm. Now, now kind, sure. kind of going off of that as well, you know, let's say you just – I love to ask this question because it's it, it, it's telling on what people are into. You know, you just won the lottery. You got piles of cash. You can get into one kind of – you know, what what's the first drag – car setup you're going to build you know you got mm. more money you know what to do with you know does it have to be a drag car can this be a racing car in general <laughs> well, well yeah well i'll open it up there you know what high performance car would you just want to build that you could absolutely thrash and have fun with uh i i will build one one day the, the best sounding car in the world to me is the twin turbo v10 uh so either an, an r8 or uh, a huracan would be the first thing i would buy I just love the way those things sound. You don't see them drag racing much, but there's a lot of them roll racing and street racing. Yes. Yeah. That's... And I, I had the chance to drive uh, in at my first rally the end of last year, the Corsa Rally, AMS Performance. Uh, the owner, Martin, hit me up and asked if I wanted to be their celebrity driver in their new uh, twin turbo package they have for the R8. And I, I had to miss uh, drag week and World Cup finals for it, basically. Well, I had World Cup Finals was doing the same thing. Uh, I had to miss World Cup Finals for this. I couldn't say no. I've always wanted to go on a rally. I never imagined I would be driving in one, uh, let alone a twin-turbo V10. And it was like we literally had no issues with that car. It was like a fuel pressure warning or something that got fixed right after the rally. But we drove for like a 1,000 miles. And the last day, we averaged for 30 minutes uh, 130 miles an hour. Holy smokes. Uh, in an unnamed state with very long straight highways you can see for like 20 miles but it was like it was just a dream it was that that the twin turbo v10 sound is just oh my gosh i want one of those very badly (laughs) might or might not be willing to do some quasi legal activities to obtain one but you know yeah gotta do it the c5 the c5 corvette the unicorn nicknamed unicorn that project is like basically was my ultimate streetcar uh, build, Corvette build, build. So I kind of already did that um, <clears throat> with the power levels that we're pushing and my stubbornness with wanting to maintain it being a streetcar. It's been a very challenging project over the past year. Well, past three years, but mainly over the past year um, because I want to, I don't want to take any weight out of it. It's like 3,700 pounds. I want to be able to drive it. And it's a stick shift car, so it's like a lot of things battling each other there. But uh, I love that car. Um, so I've already built that, so that kind of takes that one out of, out of the question. <laughs> That's literally, that car is the recipe for how to find new ways to break driveline parts. Yeah. But it's, yeah, yeah it's... It's, it's it's awesome to have a goal like that. And, you know, every racer, every listener can can uh, relate to doing something like that. And it's like almost like you're at a point of madness where it's like, I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to make this work. Even though the universe is telling me to do something different, I don't care. This is what I want to do. And that's, to yeah. me, that's what makes drag racing fun. Yeah. it's It's been battling. It's been sitting in my garage for four months now uh, because I just got so sick of the fix, break, repeat without a whole lot of fun in between. Um, but yeah, we, we took it out 
in September. I was going to take it to Cletus and Cars. We got a track rental in Oklahoma. Um, and we had patched a few, bunch of different things that, before that day and upgraded the clutch to a like 2,000 horsepower monster clutch. And uh, we had fixed an exhaust leak as well as, I forget something else in the exhaust system or the, something with the turbos. We've been playing with the, the boost control. Uh, forgot to test the two-step before taking it out on a freshly prepped track. And uh, the clutch held very well. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that. But I hit the, the starter in the foot with the, the axle stub from the car. And so that was the end of the season for that car. <laughs> and it had been three months since I'd driven it, too. So it's just like... I want to drive that car so badly, but it's it's like where does it end? We'll get it we'll get it running here in the next couple months. Yeah, it's yeah, it's you you find a horsepower has this innate ability to find things and break it that you weren't expecting it to break. Yep. You know, yep. you, you see levels of, levels of carnage and you see people do stuff. That's like a Eric Liepert that has that uh, X275 Mustang at the uh, Snowbirds this past weekend. He, you know, he cooked the motor. There was a little bit of a thermal event. And he posted up on Facebook, you know, pictures of it, you know, a hole in the windage tray and dented headers. I was like, dude, did the, did the piston and rod do that? He's like, yeah, yeah, the piston and rod did that. I'm like, I've been doing this a while. I've never wow. seen rotating assembly parts on a turbo car like that damage a header i'm like wow. i feel bad but that's impressive and i'm not talking like a uh -huh. little like a little like oh it's slightly dented i'm like it knocked the heat coating off of that bitch <laughs> took a couple of rotations and smacked the headers a few times yeah yeah there's <laughs> i could only imagine that whole sequence of events because if you've ever been in a car where something mechanical is let go it sounds terrifying it sounds like the world's gonna end Yep. It, it, when you're moving at a high rate of speed and there's smoke, it's probably a bad day. So I can only imagine what that uh, what that disaster sounded like. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Those are frightening moments too. We've run enough for things are broken, and you don't you don't know if you're gonna have like the transmission shoot up through the floor pan or the clutch and shoot through the floorboard. You, you really have no idea. <laughs> I had a, I was driving a stick shift car one time, a friend of mine's car, and I was. He told me to beat on. I'm like, all right, cool. I went to do a a nasty power shift from second to third, and uh, the transmission decided it no longer wanted to be a part of the party. And Oof. the feeling of that transmission as I'm jamming it into gear, letting go to this day, it's like <laughs> I'm like I'm looking at my hand. I'm like, oh, well, I still got my hand. That's good. But there's clearly mm -hmm. something very bad has happened inside that transmission case. Oh God! He popped out, looked underneath the car. I'm like, dude, your car's bleeding. <laughs> our, one of, there's a video on our YouTube channel that's, uh, I forget the name of it, it's a Dodge Colt uh, my friend built back like eight, nine years ago. And he lost a couple of gears before the dyno, took it on the dyno, everything was fine. And then he had been dying to take me for a ride in it ever since he started the project. So we went out and he was missing two gears already, so there's things are already hurt. And <clears throat> we get up to speed, he, I think he had a start in like third gear because of the missing gears. And, uh, he rolls into it like 70. We get up to 130, and that terrifying noise you're explaining happens. And the clutch and the flywheel are still bolted together and shoot out in front of us about 200 feet as we're going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're like, whoa, that's, uh, that's you know, that, that's a problem. Yep. <laughs> you know, when, when things that are on the inside come out on the outside at a high rate of speed, you just, you know, you're like, Ugh, bad. When you see it happen, it's even worse. But when you experience it, it's, like you said, it's, it's one of those things that happens. You just you want to kind of forget it ever happened. Mm -hmm. Well, Kyle, our time here on the podcast is coming to an end. And uh, I love to give my guests their chance to do their best John Force impersonation and do shout outs and plug everything. So, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll turn the floor over to you so you can uh, let the people know where to find you if they definitely already know. But, you know, anything you got sure. going on and, you know, just kind of let you do your thing and do some plugging. Yeah, you can find pretty much everything we do on our website, 1320video.com. Uh, you can join the over, uh, let's see, 4.6 million Facebook fans on our Facebook page, just 1320video. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, like 1.9 million. <laughs> and then YouTube, I, I can keep track, 2.7 million subscribers on there. 
we'd love if you're not a subscriber or a follower, we'd love to to have you join. You, you never know where we're gonna end up next. We got a lot of crazy things planned this year, and hoping to uncover some really cool driver stories and unique builds here in 2020. I cannot stress enough if you already haven't at least subscribed to all those, but the YouTube page because you can fall down a YouTube rabbit hole on the 1320 page for you you could lose a week of your life just watching all these different videos and if you really want to get fun on there listeners you can go through and start digging around and looking at some of the videos from some of these people that are famous now for when they first started or watching cars transform and it's really kind of a it's kind of magical oh yeah but yeah thanks again kyle for coming on the show and i look forward to see you at the track this year yeah thank you for the opportunity well that wraps up the show for this week thanks to kyle for stopping by and as always May reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Until next week, folks.